2: You are listening to Miss Apex podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Miss Apex podcast. Today's episode is called Minimal Talking. I'm your host Richard Spanner's ready and I'm joined by Matt Two rumpets. How's it going there, Matt?
0: Okay. Good.
2: Minimal talking, I approve. You listen to the instructions. Matt, this week was the first week that my son properly had Formula One enter into his consciousness, and I could actually see it seeping into his brain and being absorbed. And it was the first time he was glued to the race all weekend, uh, from qualifying through to the race, and it was just constant, constant questions, and it's, it's such a rewarding father-son experience. To see him kind of soak in this atmosphere and gain a new hero at the end of the weekend on the podium, he said, Dad, I want to be like Lewis Hamilton. Seeds sown.
0: Beautiful, beautiful. I'll have to take some lessons. I still can't get my daughter the least bit interested, no matter how hard I try. She just gives me that withering tween look and says, Dad, I'm not interested.
2: Ouch, that hurts. But normally the kid is like, yeah, yeah, I'm really interested. And then after a few minutes, he kind of tails off wants to play iPad, goes and jumps on a trampoline. This is the first time he was really interested in the race. So he was tracking Daniel Ricciardo's progress through. He was desperate for the Aussie to come through the field. He really got behind Team Bottas and desperately wanted Bottas to catch the Ferraris. And But he was just complaining all the time, why isn't Lewis Hamilton on the TV? I'm like, dude, he's like a mile up the road.
0: Yeah, well, that's beautiful, though. I mean, it's wonderful that he's gotten interested this early in the sport, and it's going to be fantastic for you.
2: Uh, down the road. Yeah, I've got an F1 buddy. What a difference of a weekmates though, Matt. Hamilton had a dominant weekend this weekend and all the talk of the championship slipping away, it's gone in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, now he's a point off the lead and I challenge anyone to say they'd want to be in the Ferrari now over the Mercedes. That Merck is firmly back on top.
0: Well, I, I think your, your, your data points are too narrowly drawn as of yet we'll see in hungary if 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 mercedes puts in an equal performance in hungary then i'd have to agree with you at this point but silverstone is the first track of its kind that we've seen this year and um as far as the championship being close well that's also kind of down to an exploding tire not just the blink of an eye
2: the chat room says to me well done spanner's perfect parenting i hope you emulate i hope to emulate you my friend and they say to you and you call her your daughter uh, we are an independent podcast hosted on mistapexpodcast.com We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute We might be wrong but we're first this show is safe for work we're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work uh joining us this week we have the easiest man to spot at the whole silverstone circuit he was there this week as well and Neil Palmer how's it going
3: Very well. I am absolutely exhausted, but I had an amazing weekend at Silverstone. If you're listening to this and you've never been, what I learned this weekend is that you need to prepare clothing for the freezing cold and wet conditions
2: and also boiling sun. Spanners have actually burnt my nose. I caught the sun today. That's. I didn't think you people could, and by you people, I of course mean very, very tall people. I suppose you are closer to the sun. I do want a bit more of a review of what it was like at Trackside. We'll catch up with you a little bit later. Also joining us is Downforce UK boss, Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? Watcher. Thank you for eventually making it. I have dashed across from Snetterton after a very busy two days, so yeah, been exciting. Hmm, you seem to be giving us excuses when what were required were results. Anyway, we'll catch well, up with you. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. We'll catch up with you guys more later. Big hello to the live stream. Let's have a little quick look here at the live figures. We've got 46 people in the live chat right now. Hello to each and every one of you. If you want to join them in the live chat, go to youtube.com uh, and find Mist Apex Podcast. Click subscribe and also click the little bell and you'll get a notification every time we go live. What's your general impression of Silverstone this year, Matt? There was a lot of talk going into it that the drivers were going to be a little bit phased by the breakneck speeds, going through cops flat out, we talked about on our sports book review show. And yeah, it just seemed awesome round there. It was a spectacular race.
0: Yeah, it it well spectacular race. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it presented a real spectacle. And as far as the just the sheer technical uh, ability of the drivers to cope with turns at that speed and a G's that high. It was staggering to watch.
2: Well speaking of spectacles, the really the Grand Prix weekend started two days early this week and this is Liberty Media really wringing the neck of Formula One and trying to bring it into its its vision of how it should be.
0: Yeah, we were very fortunate in that more than a few of our Patreons showed up at the event. Um, which was uh, Formula One Live London, the official name of it, uh, where basically they threw an all-day party for Formula One fans with Formula One people and others as well, and drove the cars around the streets and were generally very silly and gave away merchandise and stuff like that. And it was seemed to be, by all accounts, extremely well attended and extremely well received. And it's the kind of thing that we haven't seen. In fact, The last thing I can think of that might have come close was they tried to do something similar in New York back in, was it 2012, Anil 2013? Somewhere around there. They tried to do a similar event, but uh, one of the teams said no, and that was it. They didn't even bother to try again for the
2: next three or four years. It was Red Bull or Ferrari. I forget which, but we didn't know at the time. Anil.
3: Yeah, I mean, the last time they did an event like this in London was well over a decade ago. I think it was the early 2000s. So the fact that they were able to get something like this going was just amazing. Um, great event overall, and the turnout was spectacular, especially given that they only announced it. I think it was one day before. I'm guessing that was just to do with security and given the recent you know kind of events in London.
2: Yeah, but Jake, Lewis Hamilton didn't even bother to turn up. How good could it have been? I know you were a bit miffed.
4: I was a little bit disappointed that of all of the 20 drivers on the Grand Prix grid, the only one that decided not to make a show is the guy that everybody was there to see. It's kind of a bit ridiculous. You know, you've got like, you know, 20 bands going to Glastonbury and everybody's there to see Oasis. And Oasis just goes, you know what, can't be bothered. And that's kind of what it felt like a little bit with Lewis Hamilton. It's a bit ridiculous because, you know, that guy has most of the fan base in this country, is based on Lewis Hamilton. Whether you disagree with that or not, it's it's entirely up to you. But yeah, I think he basically his excuse for I needed a couple of days break. I don't think that's the reason. I think there's something else in that, but I don't know. I I just feel that he could have made more of an effort. It's only a few miles down the road from Silverstone for him. I disagree. Okay, I'm
3: gonna I'm not gonna go hamfosi on you. because That's my okay. role. But you say that a lot of people there were to were there to see Hamilton, but. It wasn't, that event wasn't just for Formula One fans. It was actually just for the average Joe who happened to be in London to mm-hmm. turn up and just see an F1 car. I don't think people went saying, oh, I want to see Lewis Hamilton. They were there to just experience the cars. Yeah, Lewis not being there was disappointing, but no one was going to leave saying, oh, you know what? I'm actually quite interested in F1 now, but the fact that Lewis was there means I'm not going to bother going to a Grand Prix. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a shame he wasn't there, but he, it's, it's not like he's
4: driving into other cars in Baku. Yeah, but what it does tell you is a lot about what Hamilton would rather give back to Formula One. You know, he's he's said in the past in interviews that Formula One doesn't owe him anything. And it's interesting that, you know, it almost speaks for itself to
2: a certain degree that he wasn't there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I wasn't going to weigh in. I wasn't going to weigh in until you said that. OK, so I will just say I think he should have gone. It would have been great if he'd have gone. Absolutely. Possibly he didn't realise what a big deal it was going to be. I certainly didn't, and that's why I didn't go. And I was gutted when I realised how cool it was. But let's just back up on saying Lewis Hamilton doesn't give to his fans. I mean, the lad is constantly just, he's in his car and he'll put like his Instagram live feed on and it will just be him sitting there reading out the comments and just laughing and just interacting with people. He does that for hours. So, you know, I don't think we can tell him he doesn't interact with his fans. I I didn't say that. What I said was that... He has this kind of, I'm not entirely
4: sure what he has in terms of his media assistance, his team or whatever, whether he's being managed or not. I don't actually know. But it seems as though whenever there's an easy slam dunk for Lewis to do well with his fans, he just kind of goes in a different direction. And it's interesting because sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he gets it wrong. And it was interesting that the analysis of it was that potentially, you know, the only thing that's going to make people forget about that is a win. And to a certain extent, that did happen. So I I, I don't know. I just think I don't I would like to know the real reason why he didn't turn up, because I'm not entirely sure that what he said is true. Well,
0: I can tell you what um, what we learned was that a long time ago, the drivers and teams knew about it. And at the time, it was originally uh, mentioned to them. Lewis had said, I I will not be able to attend that event and negotiated it with the team way back when, and it wasn't a problem for the team back then, so it shouldn't have been a problem now. But I would also like to get the chat room into this. On the Gas says, glad Lewis didn't show up. Makes everyone mad and then wins on Sunday. Brilliant. If he's winning, he did the right thing. And that's where he is. His eyes on the championship. And I will say, at least from this side of the pond, if you ask people to name a Formula One driver they will go Lewis Hamilton and I don't know, the Spanish guy, maybe. Uh, also,
2: um, Darren Johnson in the chat does also say Ricciardo overdid the media pre Melbourne and said he was bushed for the race. So th- there is something to be, to be given for that. And Neil in quick and then we want, we'll move on.
3: I, yeah, I was just agreeing with that comment. Um, the last thing you want to do before your home Grand Prix, when there's lots of pressure on is to just feel mentally burnt out. Um, I do not see a big deal with it. And it's, Unfortunate that you got so much stick from the media and fans like Jake.
4: I was just gonna say yeah, okay, fair enough. But and it was a great a great victory for the other nineteen drivers because they built a bit of a brand in F1 Live, so great for them.
0: Right. And just to wrap it up, I think what I'd like to say is that a lot of my American friends who are motorsports fans were pointing out that that what Liberty did bears a great resemblance to things that very popular series over here like NASCAR have been doing for a while now. And uh, again, it's just the influence of Liberty starting to build up the value of the brand, which I think, you know, we can all agree has suffered under uh, CVC these last few years.
2: Okay, so I'll just, I'll have my wrap up now. I do think he should have gone. And I do think it kind of shows that Lewis Hamilton does think that he's a little bit different and that he has a power over Formula One that other people don't have, but he might well be right. Because who were people talking about most, the event or the fact that Lewis Hamilton wasn't there? So I'd like to see, you know, a little bit of joined up thinking perhaps between Lewis Hamilton and Liberty Media and, you know, take away any kind of antagonistic feelings that might have been left over from previous demands that have been put on him. Um, You know, he he really rebelled against the McLaren uh, putting restrictions on what he could and couldn't do. And probably he's got into this mindset now of no. You can't tell me what to do. I'm contracted for this, this, and this. So I'd like to see that go away. And I hope that if we have other events like this, Lewis Hamilton is part of the F1 family. All right, let's move on then, Matt. Signs uh, is rumoured, and we don't know how reliable this is. Signs is rumoured to be going to um, Renault because Toro Rosso are going to let that seat go. Q uh, uh lined up to go to there. Poor Palmer. <laughs> Poor dude. Yeah.
0: You, and you have to feel for him after after what happened to him in, in free practice with his car breaking yet again. Um, yeah, it's all about signs right now. And Toro Rosso, because it, it's not just him going uh, auto build, had the story out that is, as soon as Hungary, he might be driving a Renault, which uh, was utterly trashed by Abitable, uh during qualifying. But the signs Renault move has been around for the while. And it would seem to be the most likely place for him to turn up if he does not stay at Toro Rosso. But we also heard, and this is fallout from Manisha Kaltenborn, uh, severing ties with Sauber, that suddenly Toro Rosso might be getting a Honda engine and going their own way from Red Bull. So I think we're starting to hit peak silly season right now. What could go wrong, Jake?
4: Well, it's interesting. I'm not sure how many people are really believing this story, uh, especially considering the source is a little bit dubious. There's not a lot of validity to it that's been confirmed yet. I don't know how secure that story is. If it were to happen, I'd be devastated personally. Not because science doesn't deserve to be at Renault because he does, but I want Kubica in at Renault next year. It's as simple as that. So uh, I would really like the opportunity for a bit of a fairy tale because, okay, Kubica doesn't bring money yet, and that's one of the concerns an F1 team currently. Has in the modern era, but you can bet that if he's definitely going to do it, every single Polish billionaire from here to Warsaw is going to be backing him uh, to run next year. So that's going to be amazing if that happens. But I genuinely think it's either going to be Kubica or Roland in the Renault next year, not Palmer. Uh, I think he'll see out the season. I don't think he'll be dropped before the end of the year, even though he's not doing as good a job
2: as he needs to. Corku in the chat room says Palmer needs a hug and for someone to tell him that it's okay. It's not okay though, Matt, is it? Unless he wants to go to DTM or WEC.
0: No, no, it's not okay. But uh with regard to sourcing, I saw on Twitter today that uh Nimmersful of Motorsport Total had confirmed in a conversation with Marco that that this might be a thing that was happening. I think the part of it that was completely uh unfounded was by Hungary. And you notice that Abidable and his um fierce denunciation didn't mention that it might not eventually happen, that he was very focused on it not happening at Hungary. So I, I think we got to file that one under you know, uh, watchful waiting at this point. So it'll
2: happen at Spa. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where the Hondas will start at Spa. Quick quiz for you guys and the chat room. Fire it in. How many grid places have Honda lost uh, in penalties since they joined back in this modern hybrid era? Because Matt Alonso gets slapped with a 30 grid place penalty and people don't even bat an eyelid anymore.
0: Well, they don't bat an eyelid because unlike the first year this sort of thing was happening, uh, for the most part, these penalties do not carry over. So basically they're saying, well, you got to start from the back if you put a new engine in. And that's, well, frankly, entirely reasonable in this day and age where reliability has become an important part of the overall competition.
2: There's some good guesses. Sorry, Jake, there's some good guesses coming in now, but the answer is, Jake, and I don't know if this surprises you, that Honda have been penalised 520 grid spots since they've (laughs) returned to Formula One. They are not getting this right. They are doing badly. This is not a bedding in period. They are bad at this.
4: Uh, Yes, Honda are bad at this. But I think FIA's interpretation on the reliability rules is a little bit farcical as well. It's not just Honda that are getting the rough end of the deal on these sorts of things. You've got a lot of drivers recently and a lot of teams recently who have been penalised or sent to the back of the grid for trivial little things. I mean, I, I, I get why we're doing it. We're trying to cut costs. We're trying to make sure that teams aren't overspending. But Who are we trying to kid here? It's farcical. It looks ridiculous when drivers who have been on pole position are put to you know eighth or ninth or tenth position on the grid. It looks ridiculous. It makes Formula One look like they don't know what they're doing, even though we know they do. So I think there needs to be
2: a different way of going about this personally. I I love the intention, but the execution needs to be improved. Well, the execution, it could fall down to the teams as well. I mean, Bottas and Ricciardo got penalties for having uh, gearboxes that didn't last six races and very much in agreement with Scarbs, who I suspect could have been listening to me talking about reliability here, won't take all the credit, but was saying that, look, it's easy. The teams could make gearboxes that were slower, that gave you less performance, and were more reliable, and it's something I've bored people to death with on this show. Is if you don't have reliability, you don't have performance, uh, or otherwise, you know, otherwise you're just cashing crazy promises that come back and bite you. So it does fall on the teams a little bit. They know the gearbox has got to last six races. If you don't want to risk penalties, make a gearbox that lasts ten races and be done with it, and accept there's going to be some loss in performance. All right, let's go on to qualifying. The most amusing thing I found, Anil, was that Alonso with that thirty grid place penalty had an opportunity to go to pole and there was absolutely nothing in it for him the only consequence was it was just like uh you know uh i'm trying to think of a polite word but darn you stroll in particular you don't get to better your time in q2 i'm just going to go nick pole for no reason that the atmosphere for that q1 session was absolutely incredible
3: um i guess first of all it was not clear to me i was sitting at the final corner at the time or anyone else in the grandstand, that Alonso had actually crossed the line in time. It looked as though he hadn't crossed it, which also makes me question how quick his out lap was. Yeah, he had he must 10 have been, seconds he must to have spare, they it. said.
2: Well, they said right, he had um, 10 seconds to spare, but I think he also had traffic, and he was also struggling on, I guess, presumably cold slicks on a slippery surface.
3: Yeah, and so when he did his lap, the whole place erupted. Um, the only time the crowd was louder was actually when Hamilton won the Grand Prix, So, or oh, when Hamilton took pole, so... It just goes to show you just just how much people want to see McLaren winning. Um, I felt really sorry for Stroll, but
2: there you go. I tell you what, I'll go to you next as well, Anil, because I'm not going to reveal why, but I like Kimi Raikkonen now. I'm slightly converted. I know you're a Kimi fan. I know you're a Ferrari fan. Uh, Raikkonen ends up beating Vettel. Uh, I know Vettel was unhappy with his positioning on the last run, but Kimi Raikkonen, legit second place on the grid. So,
3: someone correct me if I'm wrong, but... In the dry, Raikkonen has always been faster than better at this track. 2014, 2015, it's only when it, it's only when it rains, he, he really struggles against Seb. In the dry, he's actually really quick. And it's the same at Spa, another very fast-flowing circuit. Maybe he's able to just dial out the understeer problems that he has in the car, but at this track, he's always been much better than Seb. And Seb's never been, that too, never been too good here. Webber also good here,
2: Trumpets.
0: Right. And that would be the point that I was about to make, is that it's not just that Kimi is quick here, it's that Vettel is slow here. This this might be one of his least favorite tracks to drive. He has not done well, and he's only won once here. When you consider the Red Bull that he was driving through the end of the V8 era, it's kind of staggering that he only has one victory.
2: It is. And uh, we won't dwell too much on Palmer getting knocked out in Q3. But I have to say, I'm very pleased that his attitude changed slightly. At least he smiled in the interview.
0: Uh, yes, we will. Because of the new floors available to Renault, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Anil, he did not have use of it. And he only missed out by hundreds of getting into Q3 for the first time.
2: I can in no way criticize Renault's decision to give the new part to Nico Hülkenberg. This is like a slightly
3: less controversial type version of the time when Red Bull took Mark Webber's wing and gave it to Vettel. At least then it was a bit tough. This time it was like, we'll just give it to Nico. Hülkenberg was really quick all weekend, especially when the Inters um, were being used. He looked fantastic out on track. Um, He said after the race, he really likes more flowing circuits. And then he said, stop and go tracks aren't for me. So I found found it was quite interesting. There's a very specific type of circuit
2: that he really enjoys and clearly did a he deserved that new floor, and he did a great job. Okay, so like go on. I was gonna go on. I was just gonna say stop and go track. So we're talking Tilka uh, Abu Dhabi, uh, for a more flowing track. We're talking Silverstone, Suzuka, that kind of thing. Just for people who might not know those terms. Sorry, Jake.
4: I was just going to say, uh, my highlight from qualifying. We've already mentioned it a little bit, but yeah, it was a kind of a feel-good factor with Alonso being top of Q one, isn't it? It was almost a, it was like a scene out of the final closing sequences of Bullseye back in the eighties, isn't it? Let's have a look at what you could have won. It was a bit like that, and it was quite nice to see that you know it's genuinely down to the engine. You know, people have debated a few times this year. Oh, well, you can't just say the Mercedes in the back of the McLaren would make it any faster. Maybe they're getting it all right. No, I've seen many many examples. This this year of where the mclaren is a problem with the honda it's not the car the car is brilliant the driving is brilliant with both uh, alonso and van Dorn at the moment you've only got to look at monaco when both cars were in uh, q3 in terms of the top 10 their uh, fastest times that is a good car with an
0: awful
2: awful engine they're terrible
0: and that explains why van Dorn was in the last third session of qualifying
2: uh, Jake, he's actually being sarcastic there. He's. It might sound like he's agreeing with you, but he's He's not. Listen back. It'll all make sense. It's a thing Matt does. Uh, let's Don't just... you bully my Van Dorn. <laughs> Don't you bully my Van Dorn. He's the dude.
4: Yeah. do you leave him alone now.
2: Okay, so let's talk about Hamilton because he destroyed the field in qualifying. Fantastic. Seven-tenths up. What a performance. He is the king of Silverstone. I love watching him around here. Fantastic. But did he block Roman Grosjean? I think it's a genuine... Question: Now, there's some sort of, you know, well, it was his pit crew's fault, but ultimately the driver car combination takes responsibility. And I'm really, really interested to see what you guys think, because I'm not so sure either way, Jake.
4: I don't agree. I don't think he blocked Grosjean personally. Uh, I think it's there's an interesting debate about it uh Having seen the incident, I disagree. I think he was absolutely fine personally, and I, I wanted to look into it, thinking, "Oh, he's done something he shouldn't have done." I've looked at it about four or five times now, Hater. and I've made a decision. I don't think he has. Right. So
3: I was actually right there when it happened, but I was really confused as to if he, if any blocking had been done, because it didn't occur to me at the time that Grosjean was out of sequence with the other drivers. Is that right, Matt?
0: Yeah, he was finishing a hot lap as the rest were starting. He went out early around the five-minute mark i think
3: right okay so shortly afterwards on the screens they played the clip that i think went out on sky sports which was it was like an onboard shot and it showed lewis going through the chicane however i actually found the full clip on reddit when lewis came out of stowe he he basically stopped towards 150 meter mark um but actually you could say it was he held up grosjean but that's the problem with that corner having a chicane at the end you just get that effect and actually, it happened a lot throughout qualifying.
2: Ugh, in the chat room, Chris Stevens is there, and he made a good point. Ugh. Drivers tend to shout about blocking at any opportunity these days. He says it's becoming F1's equivalent of the fake tackle in football and like throwing your hands up in, you know, come on, ref, give him a yellow card.
0: Yeah, and I think we could look at the language of the ruling, which came down as being a very, as, as a steward's attempting. I know there seemed to be a lot of uh, controversy about it on on social media but to me it they were stewards of drawing a very clear line delineating between when a driver ahead of you might cause you to slow down because you're worried yes they're, that's because you're in your skill division yeah. and causing you to slow down because if you don't you'll you'll have buried your nose right up their gearbox as it were and they were clearly stating that although lewis was close enough to have affected his lap time that physically he was not close enough to have actually caused him to have to stomp on the brakes, and to me that was a, that was a, I think a very neat and effective ruling saying, okay, so here's the here's a line, and for all we know there might even be a specific time, like there is with blue flags attached to it. If if you if the driver behind gets within x tenths or x seconds, then you're considered to be physically impeding the driver. Otherwise, it's on you.
2: The last thing I'd like to clarify is. Is it right that if you are yourself on a hot lap, you're under no obligation to get out of the way? It's the responsibility of the car behind you to have found a good window. If that's the case, where does the hot lap actually start? Surely we're not so blind as to say the hot lap just starts at the start-finishing line. Because obviously everybody's got a certain point where they have to ramp up and prepare themselves properly to go over that line, Jake. And it just felt like that all he was doing was taking club at the precise way he needed to to get a good run into turn one
4: yeah i agree with you entirely i think it's different for each circuit but i think effectively your flying lap starts at the last point that you're accelerating up through the gears to get onto that uh, start finish straight so basically the veil chicane is effectively the start of your flying lap at silverstone it works in different places but yeah i completely agree you've
2: made a very good point wow thank you very much jake on that let's go to the race before i, I make more points that aren't good We don't just keep Matt around because he's a pretty face. We keep him around to tell us where the race was won and lost. Where was the race won and lost, Matt?
0: Well, actually, thinking about it and thinking about it a lot and thankfully having the hope of uh, Summers and Vortex in the WhatsApp chat, I think I got to go with Friday. Friday is where the race was won and lost. Now, I know I can see down the page that you want to talk about tires as a separate topic, so I will go there later. But what I do want to say is on Friday, what we saw was Ferrari very, very, very far off the pace relative to what you might expect. And then we saw them much, much closer on Saturday. So more immediately, if we're looking at the race, I think we have to look at the fact that our friend, Julian Palmer, failed to make it through the formation lap. And the result of that was another go-round for the rest of the field. And by the time that second formation lap was done, Sebastian Vettel's brakes were already on fire.
2: Yeah, I remember seeing the brakes on fire and thinking, that's a bold strategy. Let's see how that works out for Seb.
0: I guess since they can't burn oil any longer, perhaps they thought (laughs) brakes would be an acceptable substitute. Uh, At any rate. So then, as usual, it's down to the start. And at the start, a very important thing happened. Um, uh, Verstappen got in front of Vettel. Now, I I made a few small notes for myself. Uh, based on the Formula One app, whose timings aren't perfect. But basically, from the moment that Vettel was stuck behind Verstappen, uh, once the safety car period had closed, between then and when he pitted, he lost 17 seconds to both Raikkonen, not quite 17 seconds to Raikkonen, because Raikkonen was a bit off of Hamilton, but he lost 17 seconds to to the front of the field. And that effectively meant there was no way he was going to be challenging for the win at that point.
3: Right. So that I found that really interesting because before the race, there was a lot of talk about how if if Ferrari could stay second and third, they could try and do something different on strategy, you know, have one driver do the undercut, one driver do the overcut. And in the end, because of the degradation being not working as well, um, they didn't really, it probably wouldn't have worked anyway. But yeah, Verstappen getting ahead really, really ended Sebastian's race. Um, I've also noticed the British public love Verstappen. More than any other driver apart from Hamilton. Probably because last year he overtook Rosberg and this year he overtook (laughs) Vettel. But he is definitely the driver that gets the most amount of cheers at Silverstone.
2: That was an amazing scrap, Jake.
4: Yeah, it was. And I think that kind of really could have developed into something that, you know, really would have had people on the edge of their seats for a long time. It's almost a shame, really, that it didn't build and build even more after the first set of pit stops, because I was really starting to figure out uh, I was really starting to consider, you know, what if Verstappen can really take Vettel all the way to the flag with this? Because it was going to be a really, really intense, potentially one of the great all-time battles of this era. I mean, you look at the way that Vettel and Alonso scrapped away. That could have been really, really good to have see what Verstappen could have done against him. But yeah, it just looked like Vettel was on the back foot all weekend. He never really seemed to get on top of the car, uh, his circuit, the, the circuit, how he was going to handle it. It just looked a little bit
2: ridiculous from Vettel for a start. There's a spandex ready in the chat room. I don't like it, but he does say, gotta love Verstappen's ruthlessness. And I I absolutely do. I think that's why he's gaining friends.
0: Yeah, well, he's unapologetic and utterly fearless because he's not old enough to know any better. I was going to move on to how else the race was won by making the point about the pit stops. The reason Jake didn't get his fondest desire to see a Vettel-Verstappen battle throughout the race was down to Verstappen's pit stop as much as it was the undercut. There was a bulky wheel nut that resulted in a long stop and basically allowed Vettel to clear him. However, to clear him, and this is important, Vettel really put in a blinder of a lap on brand new tires. And this will not have been entirely good for them. And that would come back to perhaps haunt him later on. And as a result of Vettel being ahead, now, who was the next person up the field? It was going to be Raikkonen, who Ferrari held out longer. So long, in fact, you begin to wonder if, in fact, they really had his best interests at heart.
2: I wondered about this as well, because there was a few people thinking, wow, were Ferrari actually going to let Kimi Raikkonen win this race? But I think it came down to maths. If they had left uh, Kimi Räikkönen ahead of Vettel, that's fine. Vettel probably could have had a better chance of holding off Bottas, and then it would have been Ferrari second, third, Mercedes fourth. Maybe they were thinking if Vettel got past Kimi Räikkönen, Kimi was going to put up no resistance whatsoever to Bottas, and then you've effectively, with the swap, uh, given an easy second-place Ferrari, third place Mercedes, fourth place Ferrari. So you've lost an overall point swing, which really made me think, Anil, who do Ferrari care about more? Championship points, or do they care about Vettel's points?
3: You've completely lost lost me with your complicated maths equation there, Spanish. I think we
2: need a diagram. The TLDR, the too-long-didn't-read, is basically that uh, (laughs) uh, the the best chance to keep Bottas behind and keep the second and third place was to not swap the cars, Kimi and Vettel. If they had deliberately slowed Kimi down to let Vettel past, Bottas would have probably had a sitting duck in the form of Raikkonen to claim the podium place.
3: Okay, so can I just follow that up with pre-race, given that When you're at the circuit you actually miss out on like most useful information was it supposed to be a one or a two stop because going into the race i was expecting a two but the ties seem to two matt's giving me both numbers on the screen so i'm right So it was
0: very close between the two strategies which is what we were looking for but go ahead
3: so i was at the time i was thinking wow they really hate raikkonen they're not boxing him at all um okay so i think they would have let Kimi legitimately beat Seb, because I don't think Seb was quick enough all weekend. But
0: Here's how I saw it playing out. And it's important to note, as we utterly failed to during qualifying, that Bottas qualified on the soft, not the super soft tire. So going long was always his strategy. And what happened was, I think Ferrari decided to cover off Bottas with Raikkonen and kept him out on the Supers. The problem was he was losing large chunks of time doing that. Uh, relative to Botas, whose tires naturally were going to last much longer. Or not naturally, but in this case, they actually worked as intended, shall we say. And where you wound up was this allowed Vettel to make up time on Raikkonen. So that when Raikkonen was pitted and came back out, there was about a five-second gap between the two. And you might be thinking, oh, they did that on purpose. Now Seb is going to catch up and get in front of Raikkonen and Raikkonen will then be available to slow down Botas and hopefully let Seb cruise to to second place, which would have been the highest they would have been hoping for. However, what didn't happen at that point and what I find very interesting is that over the next uh, seven or eight laps. Vettel made no impact on that gap whatsoever, so that when Botas was finally pitted for his supers around lap 33, he emerged less than five seconds behind Vettel. And at that point, switching was not a viable strategy.
4: Doesn't that just get summed up by the fact that Vettel was nowhere near as good as Raikkonen at Silverstone? I mean, that's not exactly a major shock to the system. It just kind of played out how I assumed it was going to go.
0: Yeah, but then I don't get to say all those fancy words. Oh,
4: okay. All right. It's fine.
2: And welcome back to the people who press skip forward several times when Matt talks about strategy. Uh, so, but unfortunately, I think we are going to have to lean on Matt again because tyres played a massively pivotal role this week. Unbelievably thinking that. Uh, Vettel was going to get away with it again uh, even though he'd been very poor If he's still going to get a result out of this then Raikkonen's tyre blew and I thought oh, I can't believe Vettel's going to end up on the podium and I was just going you jammy git is there nothing you can't get away with and then I will admit I was slightly I'm not going to say I celebrated I didn't fist pump <laughs> as far as you know uh, when his tyre went uh, I, just, I just kind of felt like there was a bit of uh, justice weighing in in the universe Anil So the guy sitting next to me,
3: um, when Raikkonen had his problem, he just yelled out, oh, for God's sake, Seb, why does this keep happening? And then obviously he was very happy when Sebastian had his issue. I imagine that most Hamilton bands felt the exact same way.
4: Well yeah, now I mean that you couldn't have asked for a better swing for Lewis Hamilton fans there, basically, because the only way that could have been any better is if he'd have slipped to eighth and not to seventh, because now there is literally only one point between the two of them heading into the second half of the season and you know, very nearly the summer break. I mean, that is just gold dust, not just for Hamilton fans, but for Formula One in general. We have now got ourselves the best two drivers in the sport, a point apart with the second half of the season to come. It's gold dust for Liberty Media and for F one in general. This is exactly what we wanted
0: right and along with that we need to point out that these tires went longer than perhaps Ferrari had wanted them to because again Vettel was stuck behind Verstappen so he was pitted I would expect uh, more than a few laps early to try and take advantage of the undercut once they realized he was not going to be able to get around them and and that's kind of a fascinating thing Because normally you'd expect a Ferrari, especially with the upgraded power unit worth about 15 extra brake horsepower, to really be able to get the job done at Silverstone. And yet it wasn't. And that might have been, going back to Friday, the ultimate root of their problem.
3: Right. So I'm a little bit confused about the tire situation. So Matt, I'm going to pick your brain again. In the past of Pirelli tires, when we've had heavy degradation, we've seen the longer your tire, the longer your, or the older your tires are, I should say. The slower you are, the more likely you are to get a puncture or for them to run out of grip. In this race, we saw drivers such as Lewis Hamilton on very, very old tires setting the fastest laps of the race. So what caused Ferrari's problems? Did they just run out of rubber? Were the tires degrading at all? You know, from trackside, I literally have no idea what was going on.
0: Okay, well, that's actually a great question. And thankfully for me, this got covered in the in the post-race. Uh, Pirelli have stated uh, unequivocally that the, the, the issue that ended uh, Seb's chase was not the same as the one that ended Raikkonen's chase. And in Seb's
1: case, you were absolutely correct. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment.
0: That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. They literally ran out of tire for him and that, and he punctured, but the tire itself was so shredded with him getting back to the pits that, that determining much further about that was going to be difficult. On the other hand, with Raikkonen, and I think this is actually Raikkonen's issue, illuminates what happened with Ferrari this weekend. With with Raikkonen, they said that once again, what what happened was essentially a delamination of the top of the tire. Uh, but again, they felt this was something that that should have that Ferrari should have seen coming in the telemetry. And so that what that tells you basically is, if you will recall, that the tires and if you look at a Formula One tire, it does not look like a road tire. You go look at a sports car. You look at the sidewall; it's like narrower than my eyebrow. And if you get in one of those cars and drive around, it's kind of like driving around on bricks. There is no, no give to these tires whatsoever because the sidewalls are so tiny. On the other hand, if you look at a Formula One tire, the sidewalls are quite, quite tall. (laughs) The sidewalls are very tall. And as a result, the tire itself acts as a compliant member of the suspension. Now, if you look at Ferrari's setup on Friday, they were running more wings. On Saturday, on Saturday they had reverted to their Baku Baku specification wing, and in order, which is a lower downforce wing. So what that means is they were not able to keep up with Mercedes' engine on the straights and on the high-speed track, where I will remind you they were averaging over 150 miles an hour. So in order to balance out that less downforce at the rear, they will have had to have trimmed downforce at the front of the car because you can't just take it off one part of the car you got to take it off both parts of the car and when they did that that left the tire to absorb the difference in energy with more downforce the tire does less work less energy goes into it with more down with less downforce more energy goes into the tire and as a result the tires don't last as long and this is what caught Ferrari out they made the setup changes to keep up with the Mercedes but as a result they lost the life in the tires and it came back to bite them at the very, very end of the race.
2: Okay, guys, here's a bit of my hot take from the race. A couple of little points that I wanted to go across. First off, Clearly, Ferrari are still bitter about Baku. Before the restart, the radio message came through that said, Hey, Kimi, you know, it's the restart. You know what he does on the restarts. It's like, let it go, boys. It was like 17 races ago. Uh, Also, uh, what else? Um, The Mercs coming out together and people on Twitter saying, Oh, surely, you know, they've ruined Bottas' race. Surely they should let him pass. And I was even thinking that, you know, if, if there is a temporary, you know, loss of pace from Lewis on his outlap and he's not on it straight away... Just let Bottas pass and maybe they can swap back, although that does lose time. But Hamilton just exuded how much he was absolutely on it this weekend when he says, you know, don't worry, I'll just pull him along with me. I absolutely love that line. I'll pull him along with me. It kind of shows that
3: I can't imagine him using that line with Rosberg. I imagine with Rosberg, it would have been, I'm leaving him behind. With, with Bottas, it's, quite, it's like a respect. You can see he quite likes him. And yeah, as you say, Bottas is having a really good year. Another really good result for him. I did not expect him to get P2, but once again, more points. And he's not far behind the leaders in the championship either.
2: Let's catch up with our panel. Jake, you are the head of Downforce UK. It's a website. You do some podcasts, but today you were at Snetterton. What were you doing there?
4: I was commentating on the British Racing and Sports Car Club Championships, which is where the Formula One mechanics of tomorrow start their career and hopefully a few drivers as well. Excellent.
2: And where can people catch up with your work? Where would you want to point our listeners to?
4: Uh, so you can follow uh, the Facebook page at Downforce Racing UK uh, or on Twitter at Downforce UK or you can follow me personally on Twitter at Jake Sanson. Nice and simple.
2: Thanks, man. And Neil Palmer, you were at Silverstone. You had a few criticisms. Obviously, we all love going there to see the F1, but you thought a few things might have been lacking. I think Silverstone's outdated
3: and it really hit me this year. Um, look, the, the crowd are great. You get well over 100,000 people there, but the facilities are... are they're not great. And it just feels like it's stuck in the past. And I think part of it is, I guess you could say it's part of the atmosphere and it's just, you kind of go for it, but at the same time, I think it needs a lot of work and I think it needs a new owner. I need someone to really invest in it. Perhaps the best example, compare Loughfield to the stadium section in Hockenheim. You could, you could envelop that section of the circuit with fans. You could make the atmosphere incredible and it's not there. It needs a lot of work. I love the track, and F1 cars going through cops made my mum—it made her jaw drop—and she she has no interest in Formula One. She thought it was incredible on Friday, but the rest of the circuit needs to be made more exciting. And why are the grandstands so far away from the track? Ah, oh, annoys the hell out of me. Um, to conclude, a potentially great track, but the fan experience needs to be made a little bit better.
0: Yeah. Along those lines, we have heard, um, since we haven't really talked about Silverstone officially invoking the break in their contract, that Liberty had, as part of their pre-negotiation negotiations, flat out offered to take the race off their hands and that they refused that offer. But if you're looking for someone to modernize the circuit and do the sorts of things you're talking about, I would still argue that involving Liberty might not be the worst idea you could have. Chick?
4: Yeah, I was just going to say, having been a person who works at Silverstone more weekends than not over the course of a weekend... Uh, over the course of a season, sorry, it's difficult because uh, Silverstone has been updated with Formula One in mind, and therefore it really impacts upon everything else, even to the extent of things like WEC and MotoGP get affected in terms of their running because of the updates that have been made to Silverstone for Formula One. So someone like me who commentates on the club meetings through the year, because the grandstands are so far back from everything, it means club meetings feel so alienated from uh, each other and everything as well. It's, It's a great racetrack for driving on, a great racetrack for driving on, For anything else, you know, for the fans, for the people who work there and everything, it just needs work. Anil, where can people find you online, son?
3: If any of you are on Twitter, which is that little birdie thing that lets you talk about nonsense, you can find me at AnilP228. I normally talk about Formula One and the occasional
2: Simpsons, gif or meme, as I believe the young people call it. Awesome. Let's talk about racing in a little segment I like to call... Whose fault is this? And there was blame to be apportioned this week. Uh, Before we get to whose fault is this, why not consider voting for us in the podcast awards at podcastawards.com. We are one of 32 podcasts in the sports category. So why not nominate us and help us get into the top 10 where we will be judged by a panel of judges. Now, in previous years, you had to vote every single day. But because this year you can only vote once... We feel that we can ask you, without feeling too guilty, to go to podcastawards.com and click the Nominate tab. You have to just sign up there with your email address. You vote once per email address. And then if we get into the top 10, we have a real chance of winning an actual award, which would be lovely. Okay, so... In whose fault is this? There was a couple of clashes. Let's start with Toro Rosso trumpets. Is this one pretty cut and dry? Because the incidents between these boys, of which there have been a few, all seem to have resulted from when Kvyat has been off the track and then comes back on again.
0: Well, I'm going to just say, if your favorite number is 55, and I will only point out that features in my name, my screen name, Uh, then yeah, this has to be all Kvyat's fault. I was tempted to be more 50-50 about it until he took to the radio to complain bitterly about the penalties he'd been giving as a result of ending Carlos Sainz's race. And I just like, it it just, for me, it turned the tide against him, regardless of whose fault it might have actually been. His post-incident radio behavior just doomed him to be the, uh, to, to carry the burden of this, as it were.
3: What's so surprising about it is that science gave him loads and loads of space as well. It wasn't like he forced him off the track and didn't let him back on. He gave him so much space. And what's the number one rule in racing, Matt? It's don't take out your teammate.
0: Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, it might not have been as much of his fault as it was still being his fault because he actually was off the track and up on the curbs and, and several of the Sky commentators pointed out that at the point he came back onto the track. It was not entirely of his own volition because of how uh, because of how the curbs were designed. Um, So it's more like a, yeah, you know, but should he have been out there in the first place? He was only out there because he was trying to keep signs from getting around him. Signs clearly had the advantage going into it. And as a result, again, I just sort of got to point my finger directly at him and wag it very, very vigorously.
4: You know how, like, a few years ago, Scott Speed was racing for Toro Rosso in Formula One, and now he's, like, a brilliant rallycross champion? Danny Kivia. No, I'm saying it's just that is Danny Kiviat all over. He could make a great career racing for Red Bull in Rallycross, but I think his best days in Formula One are already behind him. It's ridiculous. He is now looking farcical, almost to a Maldonado degree at times, and this is not somebody in the Red Bull fold that is, is worthy of. It's getting embarrassing now, and people are actually starting to Google, you know, Red Bull Torpedo on Google and come up with Danny Kiviat. It's embarrassing. He needs to go at the end of the season. I can't see
2: any way back for him. That's harsher than I was expecting. All right. I think uh, I had gotten here Ricciardo versus Grosjean. I think Ricciardo himself even admitted that he'd put himself on the outside of, ah, what's the one after, is it Beckett's going into Lafayette Neil. What's, you go, you go I under record the bridge. This on TV. Uh, you go under the bridge. On TV. You go under the bridge and turn left a bit. And then you've got a long, lingering right hand turn. Oh, you're
3: talking about, um, talking about Loughfield.
2: There we go, Loughfield. Um, in fact, that's where you and me met at Loughfield. Um, nice hot dog stand behind there. Um, Yeah, he put himself on the outside and he couldn't really complain that Grosjean ended up shoving him off. But there was a couple of uh, bits of argy-bargy between uh, Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel. And whilst we're going to try and assign blame in two situations here, I will say, in fact three situations, I will say that was beautiful, so much fun watching them race hard like that. But there was three separate things that happened. Firstly, Sebastian Vettel ran Max off and actually made contact. He, He thumped wheels, drove into him and Max Verstappen left the track. Then Verstappen rejoined the track without penalty and, in fact, held on to his place by rejoining the track. Uh, and then, lastly, as they went into club, Verstappen just full-on just turned straight into the outside and ran Vettel out of road without without any kind of guilt whatsoever, having rejoined the track, having lost no advantage. So, Jake, of those incidents, do you think that there's you know anything wrong with that? The first one, Vettel actually hitting Max to take him out and to stop him from overtaking around the outside. Too far for you? Considering he's
4: just dodged a race ban uh, from the previous round of the championship, then yeah, I think he was playing with fire, to be perfectly honest. Sebastian Vettel should know better than that when he's just dodged what could have been one of the most controversial race bans since Michael Schumacher in 1994. There's no reason he should be playing dodgy games like that, even though he's obviously trying to gain more points back. That's Verstappen you're going up against. Do you really think he's going to give you an inch? Of course he isn't. That was lunacy. You guys see these sides I don't have much of an issue with... Go and start again,
3: Anil. Sorry. I actually don't have much of an issue with the incident at Stowe and at club. It's the track limits one that I'm not too happy with because Max left the track, but in order to re overtake Seb, he basically just floored it from off the track back onto the track and it gave him the inside line. And for me, that's, you know, if you're off the track, you're off the track. You can't use it to your advantage.
4: But I think the contact was fun. I quite enjoyed it. You know, I want to see drivers racing like that. Yeah, I think it was the thing is it was two spoiled children being allowed to knock wheels with each other on a racetrack. I think personally, you should just give them a stock car circuit, two bangers, allow them to get their differences out in one little weekend. And then hopefully they'll come back and be a bit more mature. But those two really do need their
2: heads banging together. They're just playing with fire far too many times in in the middle of a Grand Prix. But what normally happens in those situations is the car on the inside makes it very clear that they're going to the outside of the track, the car on the outside either lifts off or jumps out of the way. And that's what Rosberg used to always do, would just jump out of the way. And Hamilton tends to kind of hold his ground a little bit more. But here, Verstappen definitely held his ground, but but Vettel just went, nope, and just and punted him off. And to me, that feels like a punt. And I would like to get clarification in the rules of what is the situation there when someone is being left to hang on the outside. Fair enough. If someone chooses, they don't want to be involved and jumps out of the way, that's great. But when they do hold their ground, who's to blame? They were side by side. I would like someone to tell me if it's okay to hold your ground and not jump out of the way or if it's actually okay to just keep on driving into the car on your outside. It's difficult to come up with a precedent for that because I do see where you're coming
4: from because if you allow one incident to have a clear cut case one way or the other, then it does kind of set the precedent forever. But in this particular circumstance, with Vettel and Verstappen being so evenly matched and so decidedly ruthless as to not back down for each other, I think personally in this case, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. The stewards should bring them both up in front of race
2: control and say, what the hell do you think you're playing at? Sort this out next time or we will take action. Hang on a minute. Are you saying it's a racing incident? Uh, yes, you are. Banned. And Neil, whose fault was it?
4: Yeah.
2: Well, there's three incidents. So it's one and a half for, play, one and a half for Max and one and a half for Seb. Hang on, which one are you signing 50-50 to? Not the Ferrari driver. Matt, make more sense.
0: Uh, It's entirely Vettel's fault. He was behind and trying to pass, making a safe overtake is always on the driver trying to get by. Therefore, if there had to be blame assigned and clearly there must. There must. It's all his fault.
2: Fair enough. Uh, I've quickly got down here as well. Sebastian Vettel pushing Bottas off at Stowe. Again, Sebastian Vettel being rugged in defense, but I don't know if anyone has an opinion on that one. I can barely remember it myself, to be honest, because Bottas was pretty much passed on the next lap. But, but I, I do remember Vettel being very robust. I don't know. Maybe he does have to watch himself because of penalty points. Maybe he just doesn't care and he doesn't have the gear that allows him to do that.
4: Vettel's fault because, again, he's a petulant child who needs to grow up. Oh <laughs> Wow. OK.
2: There you go. Trumpets. Just Just saying.
0: Well, I don't, I don't even know that it was uh, an incident that was investigated uh, per se, but there you had Botas trying to get by. So if he was run out of room at any point in that process, you're going to have to kind of hang it on him.
2: Okay, guys, we are coming towards the end of the show, but I do want to talk about the championship. Before we get to anything like that, I'd like to say come and join us in the Facebook page. I think we've got about 400 people there in a closed Facebook community where everyone is very polite and lovely. So why not search Missed Apex Podcast on Facebook and join us there. I have a Spanners Ready Facebook account that you're more than ready to, uh, more than welcome to add me as a friend. Uh, I I did start off using my personal account in the podcast group and I do sometimes, but it gets all a bit cloudy when you start adding people from different worlds uh, in with, you know, all your kid photos and my mum telling me to make sure I clean behind my ears, etc. So I decided to put the Spanners Ready account on there. So that's uh, an account I'm using more and more, and I can get some like you know genuine Facebook-style interaction going. Of course, you can always just follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter. Probably easier. Matthew, the championship. Who do you fancy now? Tell me, you would swap your one-point lead in the Ferrari for the Mercedes car? You would, wouldn't you?
0: you'd be very very tempted to look i I think if you're looking at it from a track characteristic point of view the fast tracks with the sweeping curves which silverstone is a prime example of and again with the above 150 mile per hour average speed sorry for using miles per hour but that's what they gave it to us and uh, yeah i think mercedes is incredibly dominant at that but even there Vettel post-race was talking about how how well the, the Ferrari was doing in the corners. And I, I will wait to Hungary, the Hungaro ring, to be, to be shown that Mercedes has really gotten on top of their setup issues to the point where they're equally as dominant on the twistier, stoppier tracks, which are also the ones that it, it would appear that Vettel uh, uh, favors a bit more.
3: I have a theory that, that I'm not just making up. I actually think there's um some logic here. So before the season started, Matt Summerfield was on this podcast and he was saying that because the cars are braking a lot less this year, because corners are taken faster, um, that Ur's recovery is going to be more important than ever. I think Ferrari have a bit of an Ur's issue. And I noticed that at Azerbaijan in qualifying, where they were miles off the pace of uh, the Mercedes, and again at Silverstone, where they're virtually flat out from field up until the final corner, I think the Mercedes are just a much better car utilising the the Ur's. They've taken just an extra step. Maybe it's not necessarily in terms of raw horsepower, but the average amount of horsepower they're using in the race is better than Ferrari. And other tracks that they might have that problem at, Spa and Monza and Suzuka as well, actually.
0: Right. And you mentioned you mentioned uh step. And it's important to note that Mercedes, although they they didn't necessarily bring the big shiny update like Ferrari have, have updated their power unit to be more reliable and allow them to run it at higher settings for longer during the race, which means they have access to more quality laps, quality lap power during the race. And it may be that that's as much to do with being able to use the ERS more efficiently as it is with the actual structure of the ice itself.
2: Jake, I can tell by the puzzled look on your face that I'm not alone in not really understanding any of that. But basically, what's the bottom line, Anil? Who came with the better engine upgrade? Because 50 miles, 50 brake horsepower, more than the start of the season, translated to roughly 15 brake horsepower on this upgrade alone. Looks like Mercedes have more than matched it uh, without the second oil tank burning oil. Uh, It looks like Mercedes are really, really far ahead. And I would say that not only is this Lewis Hamilton's championship to lose, I think it's a two-horse race between Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas.
3: I would probably agree with that. And I say that as a Ferrari fan, that's why I was so upset after the race. I did not talk on the drive back. Oh, terrible. I would say it's Hamilton's to lose. Um, I do think we will still end up talking about tyres, though, because I have noticed... Well, the tie pressures seem very high. Ferrari seem to struggle as well. They seem to come back into it when the tie pressures are a bit lower. But look, I completely agree with you.
2: If I could have a one-point advantage or a Mercedes, I'd pick a Mercedes. Matt, any last words on the championship as we go towards Hungary in the summer break?
0: Yeah, well, it always seemed that Vettel's best chance was that uh, Bottas and Hamilton would be taking points away from each other. And that is literally how it's played out up until this point. Uh, Ferrari has been there or thereabouts, and because Vettel has been the prime mover, he's been the main beneficiary. With the tire disaster happening today, and the fact that Vettel is on his fourth turbocharger, you got to figure the worm has turned. And and I agree. I think it's a slightly more of a long shot now for Vettel to win than it was before today.
2: Okay, quickly then on any other business, Anil, you desperately want to talk about Ric- Ricciardo and his uh, charge twice up the field.
3: Yeah, again, I didn't. I don't know exactly why he fell back. Cause I didn't, it wasn't explained that clearly at Silverstone. I think he had a, a little trip through the gravel, but he was just incredible. The camera kept showing him just pulling off these amazing overtakes. Um, if you want to make F1 great, just put Ricardo at the back of the grid every race. I'd love to see it.
0: Yeah, he actually made a mistake after he got by Scroll, but it was brilliant because then we had overtaking the whole race instead of just for you know big chunks of the race. And as for me, I'd like to point out to anyone who might have been confused, it was not sad security at Silverstone. But Liberty actually opened the pit lane on purpose after the race for the fans, unlike at Monza, where it usually happens by accident.
2: Fantastic. Nico Hülkenberg would have finished fifth if it were not for some kind of Renault mistiming issue, or he was certainly handicapped in some way. He would have finished this race fifth. What an effort.
0: It was brilliant. And actually an overheating exhaust is what did him in at the very end of the race.
2: Uh, Any other business here? Battle of the Sauber's. Wow. It's getting kind of fighty at Sauber. Ericsson is feeling somewhat miffed that his teammate dare challenge him and actually be talented. Because he's going, I left him room, but he didn't leave me room. Because you're racing, dude.
0: I think Ericsson is going, I am paying all this money and yet I am still being beaten.
4: Yeah, absolutely. The, the whole set of a team runs to keep me in cappuccino machines this year, basically. So that's all fine and dandy. So Pascal, go away. You do your thing. Mercedes is looking after you, you golden boy. Leave me alone. This is my team. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that, especially when Pascal Verline actually knows how to drive in a straight line around a racetrack
2: and do well with it. Goodbye, Marcus. See you in IndyCar next year, mate. Yeah, but he's not. He's got some weird power in Formula One. He's going to be here forever. No, no,
4: I'm sorry. I don't see it. I think eventually the business tycoons at Sabra are going to find someone else who's wealthy, who's good. Nah, I don't see it.
0: Yeah, but if he goes to IndyCar, I mean, how is he going to be worse than Gutierrez, driving his car into a wall and catching it on fire?
4: Oh, he's not. That's the whole point. It's just that IndyCar will make mincemeat of him faster than the Formula One ever could.
3: <laughs> you know, all those really unwanted F1 records, like most races without a podium or most races without a win. Ericsson will get all of those records. He will just stay in F1 for years, driving for Sauber, and before you know it, he'll take those records.
4: No, he'll never beat the Max Chilton record of most finishes in Formula 1 without even having any chance of even sniffing at a point. He'll never take that from Max.
0: Just watch him. He's already on to Chilton for most races, finished with perfect hair.
2: (laughs) I think Marcus Ericsson will just somehow end up buying a championship. I can see it happening. Let's go to the podium. On the podium, my son observed, he said, Dad, Raikkonen isn't loving it, which is how seven-year-olds talk, apparently, and he wasn't. That is the saddest holding of a trophy I've ever seen, and I don't think he was putting it on, I don't think he was having a strop, I think he was just unable to express any other facial emotion, apart from the one he was feeling, which was utter, utter dejection. At losing that second place. I don't know if you saw it in the driver's room, Jake, but he was just sat there just looking completely, completely broken.
4: Yeah, it was almost as if someone had run off with his girlfriend, basically, and taken them to the dance. He wasn't really too bothered about uh, being there or picking up a trophy or even, you know, spraying a champagne bottle. He literally just wanted to get the next train to Monaco and get out of there. And it's hilarious because, this is what happens when Kimi Raikkonen finishes second place as well. And to be honest, we have we kind of have forgotten what it looks like, but if he were to win a race for Ferrari, I think it would probably look very similar. You know, he just seems to have no interest at all no. in anything other than
2: being in the F1 car. That's this it. This was totally different. I mean, Jensen Button was interviewing him and Kimi just kept on going on in the way he does and they do know where one sentence ends and another one begins. And even Jensen was just looking at him going, "I hope" you've stopped talking soon because you are dragging this down. It was terrible. But, Anil, I like Kimmy this year. He gave an interview after F1 Live and they were saying, you know, about Finns being fast. And he just turned to the interviewer and just went, well, not so much on my side. And you could kind of see that, you know, he was being modest and he was just, he was aware that he was under pressure. He was aware that his pace wasn't quite there this season. I just saw like a humble side of him and... I don't know. He's always there with his kid and stuff. I'm just warming to the bloke after a decade of hating him. He reminds me of the type of guy you see at work
3: who does really well all the time, but never gets that promotion. He's just there. You know, <laughs> he is a humble guy. He doesn't have an ego. I'm I, I'm just, it's just sad because it's when I was growing up, he was like the fastest driver. Um,
2: no, he's he just, he just lost it a bit. All right, guys, let's go on to the awards then. Thing of the weekend. Let's look around my panel to see who thinks they've got a thing of the weekend. Matt is always poised and ready. Who was your thing of the weekend, Matt?
0: There were many potential things of the weekend. But since Jake has already mentioned the thing that I think will be his thing of the weekend, I'm going to go with Billy Monger being a guest of Lewis Hamilton at the podium in the team picture. And wow, you could yell at Lewis for not showing up to Formula One Live. But the man really does care when it counts.
4: Yeah, I completely agree. That was a victory not just for Lewis, but for Formula One in general. That was a brilliant thing this weekend. Uh, My thing of the weekend was Alonso being P1 in Q1, uh, basically because he races Formula One cars a bit like Scotland play football in the internationals. You know, the way they get stuffed by Zaire, and then they beat Holland on the way out just to prove they can. I just love that. And that's the way Alonso is driving in Formula One at the moment. It's brilliant. It's
2: biblically good. Anil, who was your thing of the weekend?
4: Sorry, d- did I just hear the
3: term biblic-
2: biblically good? Yes, you did, and I'm sticking to it. Does that mean it's been completely unverified by any kind of peer-reviewed process and lacks I any won't kind hear of... <laughs> any of
4: I, won't hear, I won't hear any of this negativity to my religion. How dare you? Oh, Anil,
3: that's quote of the Mistake season.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: the episode title right there. Okay, my moment is also Alonso's slap. Um I've never cheered so much at Silverstone before. Trumpets?
0: Uh, and nobody's going to mention Botas finishing P2 from
2: <laughs> You
0: know, Well, I haven't All done
2: right. mine yet. And as far as you know, it could have been Botas.
0: It could have been, but it's probably I bet not. It wasn't. What are you going to say?
4: I bet it wasn't.
2: It was genuinely Bottas, as far as anyone knows. Yes, let's go with Bottas. It's been fantastic because he has had two comebacks. He's had Baku, where he came back from a lap down to claim second place. Sure, 17 people went out. He won in Austria, which was his second race win of the season. He is solid, and he might lack the pace of Nico Rosberg, but you know what? He is racy as hell. Like, he is a racing car driver. He is racing in a way Rosberg never was, even though he hasn't got the raw one-lap pace.
4: Can I leave the podcast on a bombshell? I've got this theory in the back of my mind about whether, you know, there's been rumours about Lewis Hamilton's commitment to the future of Formula One. There were talks about Mercedes at one point pulling out of Formula One. That's now been secured that they're definitely signing a contract for the long term, which is great. There's been difficulty about whether Bottas is actually long-term commitment now. I think he is long-term commitment. I think he's proved that. But if Hamilton disappears, there's one man who's going to join him and that's Ocon. I'd like to see Vettel do it, but Ocon's going to do it. I think that he's their long-term man. And here today... Again, that start was epic. He proved that he's genuinely the up-and-coming man for Mercedes. I reckon it's a matter of time before they make him
2: their number two, if not number one. I knew the minimal talking wouldn't last. Oh, no. You missed the apex. All right, Jake. To you, who missed the apex this weekend? Who
4: dropped the ball? Danny Kiviat, Danny Kiviat, Danny Kivia, Danny Kiviat. For reasons already
2: mentioned, get him in the sea with Marcus Ericsson and let them play on a yacht. Oh, what will Poseidon make of that? Anil, who missed the apex for you? Well, apart from Jake for talking too much,
3: given that he said minimal talking.
4: <laughs> it's all right. Going, They're just feelings. They'll just
3: heal. I'm going to say Natalie Pinkham, because during the driver's parade, she tried to interview Vettel, um, and he t- Vettel told the driver of the car to go faster because um, she's always mean to him, and she was just left stranded on the grid with no one to interview, and it was hilarious.
0: Beautiful. Me? I'm going to go with Renault, because not only did Danny Ricciardo's engine go kablooey and qualifying, but once again, the phenomenally talented, possibly, Julian Palmer was left stranded with a broken car. And so you got to say that whatever they've been doing to catch up, they have not quite caught all the way up
2: yet. Uh, mine is Owen Wilson who I absolutely love as an actor, but he is there in the, the start-go thing where they press the button. What's that called? The tower. And instead of just watching the race, he's got his phone out. And fine, but there's already a camera pointing down at the grid. Your phone is not going to take a better video. Just live in that moment that all of us would die to be a part of. Uh, okay, then a Pony Award. Matt's always got a Pony
0: Award. Well, you, you you could probably anticipate my Pony Award is going to go to Danny Fiat. Or vociferously and somewhat obscenely complaining for the entire race about the penalty that he probably ultimately more or less deserved. Daddy,
2: I want a pony!
0: And I want
2: it now! Mine is for a hand gesture. Because Vettel, right, okay, whether it was right or wrong, he punted Verstappen off the track by leaving him to hang on the outside. Then at club, when Verstappen did exactly the same thing to him without the contact, he had the gall to stick his hand out of the car and start just gesticulating. And I was just like, wow, that is a shoe in Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now.
4: Jake, do you have one? I completely agree with you, Spanners, for exactly the same reason and exactly the
2: same incident. Minimal enough for you? Not bad. Anil, do you have a pony award? You don't have to have one. I don't think I have one this time, but next time I'll bring two ponies with me. That will do. Trumpets?
0: Then perhaps before we go, we should uh, mention the sudden and unexpected disappearance of Martin Brundle.
2: Oh, yes. Is he okay? Of course, everyone's worried when Martin Brundle gets taken ill. And the fact is he had a heart attack before doing podium interviews at Monaco last season, I believe. Uh, have you got any news
0: on that? Well, it was uh, reported on Sky, at least, post-race, that it was a stomach bug, a stomach virus. Well, that's that, better. I uh, entirely sympathize with, and uh, that he was seen leaving the circuit under his own power and giving a thumbs up to supporters.
2: No, chat room, it was not Australian flu shoe. But speaking of the chat room, have we got a comment of the week? Comment of the week. And while you fumble around finding comment of the week, I will take a moment to say, why don't you follow us at Missed Apex F1. And if you've enjoyed the show and you would like to support us, there are two ways in which you could do that. The first is tell everyone that Missed Apex Podcasts adds to your F1 fandom. In June, we got 42,000 downloads across all the shows on our feed. And that is down to people spreading the word and telling people and retweeting. You might not think your retweets do much, but they do accelerate that tweet uh, up the hashtag that we're on. I've only recently learned all these things. And uh, that gives us much greater visibility. Sharing our stuff on Reddit and Facebook groups, etc. Really, really helps. So thank you to everyone who's done that. Secondly, you can give us real money. If you support content creators on Patreon then please consider supporting us. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click on Patreon in the menu tab. Every penny is spent on podcasting. As uh, as far as my wife is concerned, we're still slightly in the red. Uh, But if you rate the quality we have, that is down to Patreon money. It means that when stuff has broken, we can replace it. I started with a scraped together studio setup, just whatever I could get my hands on. But when stuff has broken, I've been able to upgrade to better and more reliable kit and we also have redundancy here so we really have very few circumstances where we need to miss a show you guys take the stress out so thank you very very much please consider giving us $2 a month and we've in fact we've just had one during the live stream as well thank you very very much guys uh, Matt who is our comment of the week
0: alright well this is I'm going to preface by saying do you remember your argument about how the best F1 driver isn't an F1 because they can't afford to be
2: yes absolutely
0: Well, I'm going to say the same thing about comment of the week. The comments go by so fast and I can't always look at all of them that I'm fairly certain that the comment of the week is actually not in one of the ones that I've uh, curated, for lack of a better word.
2: Matt, that is completely fair. We have had live streams now with 1,200 comments. I do not expect you to find every single comment. But which have you found?
0: My God. Well... Cody saying Slack group is a black hole of fun just showed up on my radar <laughs> as you were reading.
2: The Slack group is a little group, if you've heard of Slack, where we will invite you to come and chat with us. It's a patrons group. Um, it's absolutely lovely in there. There's people in there who are among my favorite people on the internet now. In fact, I'm going to roll into a bar in London and meet up with a few of those guys tomorrow night for a pint.
0: All right, so in terms of the challengers this week, we've got Ruraid Makayas, for I believe, mm-hmm. banger racing with F one drivers. Banger. Racing. Evangelos etaclitus. Atacur- the problem is Red Bull have no third team to demote Kfiat to. <laughs> Definitely in with a shout. Um, Michael Howland, yo, just here for a minute. All I say is Palmer, Stroll, and Silverstone all need fixing. Do with that what you will. Hashtag Massa wdc 2019 for sure. Uh, Darren Johnson with Rosberg would have been, I will crush him and grind his bones. And then from the top of the show, Ev Klinken with Race Fans Are Born, Not Made.
2: Ah, in reference to me creating Treeface into a Hamphosi in my own image. It's got to be the Toro Rosso comment, hasn't it?
0: Um, yeah, absolutely. The problem is Red Bull have no third team to demote Kfiat to Evangelos Eteroclitus. Congratulations, you've won Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week.
2: Make sure you follow me and Matt on Twitter. I'm at SpannersReady and my friend there is at MattPT55. Stay tuned to our feed for Tech Times Inside F1 with Joe Wafflecasts, Sports Bet Previews, a new show next Sunday hosted and produced by Chris Stevens and of course in two weeks time the Hungarian Grand Prix Race Review. Until then, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex. Hannah says that she saw Joe Sayward at F1 Live, and he's scary in real life. Cuts a very intimidating frame, apparently. Is that right, Joe? It's not all about height, you know. It's not big and clever. He didn't work to be tall. And Neil, it's perfectly good at my height. It's fine here. Perfectly average height. Exactly one span as tall. You're tall for your height. Yeah, I am tall for my height. That's
0: true.
4: Are we going to start measuring people in spanners rather than feet? In which case, I am now officially two spanners high.
2: Wait, you're not double my height. That's ridiculous.